You're listening to The Morning Muster, where we get sailors together to talk about the most important topics of the day. So grab a cup of hot chai. Or a coffee. I'm Teresa Carey. And I'm Ben Carey. This podcast is produced by Morse Alpha. We offer rigorous coastal and offshore sail training expeditions. Check out morsealpha.com. Our friends Katie and Lyle at SunPowered Yacht helped us expand our solar array. They're SunPower authorized dealer and offer both flexible panels and fixed frame panels ranging from 50 watts to 410 watts. These are super high efficiency solar panels, which means more power in less space. Katie and Lyle are both sailors and have lived off the grid for over eight years. They provide free consultation to help you size and build a DIY system. Check out their website for more info, sunpoweredyachts.com, and use the promo code MORSEALPHA to get 10% off their flexible panels. This podcast is kind of a unique episode for the Morning Muster. This is the first time we're getting a crew together after a Morse Alpha expedition. Also a first, this is our first expedition that is all men. And so it's great to have everybody here as kind of a reunion of that sporty passage from Bermuda to Rockland, Maine. And I just want you to go around and introduce yourself very briefly, just like two sentences about yourself. And then I want you to describe that expedition in just three words. Now, I remember meeting all of you the morning of your last day and You couldn't say anything in three words at the time. There was so much energy. (laughs) So this is going to be a challenge, but I want to hear what you have to say in three words. And Jesse, can we start with you? Oh, boy. I didn't get a chance to think of my three words, but uh, Jesse Whitney and I came on as the mate for this trip. Um, And it was excellent learning experience. Three words. Nice. Nice. And those three words form an actual sentence, too. (laughs) (laughs) David Rogers, how about you? Good morning. Uh, Yes, my name is David Rogers. Um, I uh, live in New Jersey and joined the passage uh, from Bermuda to Rockland. And I would my three words would be sporty. Not to take that one from everybody, but yes, sporty, humbling and, of course, educational. Good. I'm glad to hear that both of you had said it was a good learning experience so far, because that's what we're out to do. Greg, how about you? Uh, Sure, Greg Sawyer. uh, Came out of uh, the Washington, D.C. area. I think my three words were humbling, exhilarating, and illuminating. Nice. And Dave? Yep, Dave Keep here. I'm out of Santa Cruz, California. And uh, my three words were also a sentence. Forgot about work. Perfect. <laughs> uh, Benji, I can't forget about you. Oh, you were crap. on that trip too. Usually Benji's hosting this, this podcast, but now you're a guest on your own podcast. So three words, Benji. Um, Let's see. Oh, and introduce yourself. Okay. My name is Ben Carey, and I was uh, leading the expedition on Rocinante from Bermuda to Rockland. We had a great time. So let's see what I can think of. Uh, foggy, windy... And silly. Silly. I like that. It's always a good expedition when there's a lot of laughter. I heard you guys laughed all night the very last night when you finally made it into Maine. Okay, so let's go back to that expedition. You got to Bermuda. Everybody was a brave adventure actually getting to Bermuda with all the COVID regulations and and all of that. And so what about when you first got on the boat? What was your first impression and your expectation? What did you think was going to happen? Yeah, Dave Keefe here. Um, actually, just tried to approach it with no expectation. You know, just nothing, nothing to be compared against. Just be on the boat. It was cool, but I didn't have any expectation about it. You know, nice to be there. So, Jesse, how about you? This was the first time you worked for more self expeditions. It was kind of a uh, an adventure getting you there as well. What were what were what was going through your mind when you were headed to Bermuda? What did you think was going to happen? I was just stoked. It was a great opportunity to get offshore. And I said it was an excellent learning experience because uh, I enjoy teaching sailing and seamanship and those those topics. So it was a good opportunity to work on those things. And I definitely 
had the the offshore excitement in my stomach. I was ready to be offshore again for a little while. And so I'm really glad I got to do that. I want to talk about the weather for a second because I was back at home watching this Bermuda to Rockland expedition and the expedition prior to that um, out to Bermuda and watching the different storms that were um, brewing and um, kind of talking with the weather router, texting with Ben occasionally to see how things were going. You guys had some interesting weather, perfect weather for a learning expedition in that you had a variety. You motored a little bit and you sailed the boat really hard too. And so- And set the spinnaker. And set the spinnaker. You got to do it all. And I want to hear just how you're feeling through it. Were you overwhelmed by the weather or even underwhelmed? Like when you were motoring, were you like, oh, is this what offshore is like? And kind of bored with it. Does anybody have any thoughts? I'll jump on that. And um, goes back to one of the words I threw out to describe the trip as humbling and that Yes, we did have a, a quite a an array of weather that um, we were up against. And to see the sea state change as rapidly as it did from still from horizon to horizon while we were motoring. And then within hours, you know, with 20 knot winds behind us, uh, you know, the swells grow. And then those swells, which a lot of us really enjoyed surfing down, um, that just towering behind, uh, you know, towering behind us and how, you know, our route planning to, you know, go further offshore so we could catch a system that was going to be changing direction. Um, all of that was just to me, um, a humbling experience about this, this earth we, 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 we live on here. Agreed. And, you know, I think what you bring up an interesting point where it's just really how quickly things can change. And I'm always surprised by that. You think the swells are going to last for a while after the wind dies off, but they, they do subside pretty quickly. And likewise, they build pretty quickly once the wind kicks up. Was there ever a moment as that storm was building where you were just thinking to yourself, you're, you're surfing down those waves at 12 knots. I noticed that you guys were going 12 knots at times down those waves. Uh, the boat was on its side some of the time, just healing hardcore. Was there ever a moment where anybody thought to them, themselves, this is about all I can handle. Please, I just need a rest. <laughs> um, I'd like to say something. I, the, the weather for me was um, perfect in the sense it built up. You know, we started out with some very moderate weather, some beautiful skies. And I can't imagine uh, being on the expedition that came south going right into it. So having been able to ease into it like as is, if it was a lesson plan really helped. Um, I never felt that the boat was out of control or was unsafe, the crew or the the captain was unsafe. I think all those contributed to, no, I, I never worried about the passage. Um, yeah, it, it, it got swelly out there and windy and sporty is the, the famous words. Um, but except for, you know, Jess and uh, Dave Keith laughing their heads off uh, as they surfing down the uh, uh, the waves, I, I never felt like it was uh, out of control. Really loved the opportunity after easing into it. Yeah, it's an important point about easing into it. So, Dave Keith, why were you laughing your heads off surfing down these waves? What was going through your mind? Just so fun. <laughs> I mean, you know, we've got a big roller coaster here in town in Santa Cruz, and you know, it's just like riding the Big Dipper. You know, the Giant Dipper. I mean, just cruising down them, having fun. I mean, that's that was awesome. I same thing. You know, I never felt like we were anywhere anywhere even remotely close to any unsafe edge i mean we had like huge huge margins where we could be in way way bigger stuff and totally comfortable on deck it's a lot more comfortable than down below though so there's no question that like up aboard you know you're like oh yeah this is easy we could take a lot more but you go down below and try to take a rest and then you're like well maybe you could tone down a little bit <laughs> <laughs> ain't that the truth what how many times did i come up and be like oh guys can we trim this down a little bit we're like it, i'm getting banged around in my bunk and then you step up on deck and it's like no big deal so so i want you guys came back with so much energy and so much laughter i want to hear about the funniest moments on the trip hands down the funniest moment was when we were back on shore in rockland and we all had a case of land legs after being offshore for multiple days and we approached a window of a takeout joint and we were trying to read the menu and we were just oh we were all giggling i mean yeah, we were all in a state, and it, that was really, really funny. 
It sounds like, um, what do they call it when you're drunk but haven't been drinking? You're just drunk on the energy. Mm-hmm. There's a term for that. Yeah, I'm sure that the cashier thought that we had, were all super high because we appeared that to be. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else have a funny moment? Really, when you look back on it now, isn't it kind of absurd that we put a bunch of people together in a small, teeny tiny boat and put you in the middle of the ocean? That seems pretty crazy. And silly, and you're sitting there getting wet and cold, or uh, not cold, I guess, on this trip. But look, it got cold pretty quick. Um, I would say there's definitely a lot of humor, like you know, trying to cook meals for six people when the boat is you know healing from side to side and pounding off the waves. Um, I think about a third of my uh, I was making breakfast one day, and about a third of the eggs ended up on the the galley floor. <laughs> so we got a super clean floor afterwards. <laughs> and how did those eggs taste? <laughs> Uh, they were those okay. are some good eggs. I missed those. I was asleep for that event. I did hear about it. I heard. I heard the galley. Yeah, uh, we have a uh, we have an egg uh, egg catastrophe or whatever it was called. I want to hear about the corn chowder. <laughs> oh, that's David Rogers' uh, sore moment here. So Dave said he was going to make food for everybody, but unfortunately, it was just had that. T- it was just bad timing. It was great food, but it was bad timing, and unfortunately. Dave even went to bed before it came to boil, so only a few people took the opportunity. Um, my hat's off to both Daves for jumping in there and cooking as well as, as Ben and Jess. But yeah, the corn chowder was great, just unfortunately the timing of when it uh, came out was unfortunate. But who could forget the blender or the mechanical bull ride uh, aboard his <laughs> head? <laughs> what does that mean? We don't have a blender on the boat. <laughs> Oh, oh. <laughs> back to that corn chowder. If I could say something about that corn chowder, it was again, right? There was a lot of humor on the trip. I said, oh, this is going to be great. And it just happened to be one of those evenings before the sun was going down that everybody was kind of grumbling and uh, I don't know. Oh, what's that smell? Oh, I can't take those onions right now. And, uh, you know, I was down in the galley and I, uh, I had little sympathy for everybody else because I'm the one dealing with trying to keep this together and on, and on the stove. So like Greg had said, when it was all said and done, I I just left it there and I went to bed. And uh, when I woke up, I think for the 4 a.m. watch, let's just say uh, it was perfect. You know, it gave, you know, sometimes soups are a little bit better after they sit for a couple hours. And uh, that's how it was. So uh, it ended up all right. On food, some of the uh, the two things that were unanticipated for me meant a lot. We had uh, chocolate chip cookies uh, on board. Who would have thought? And that that raised morale uh, exponentially. And on the last day, when I finally got my appetite back, Dave Keefe showed up with Ritz crackers, sliced cheese, and sliced apples. And boy, that would that for me was just a morale booster. I I really appreciated it. So it's those little unanticipated booties that that really helped out on the trip. Oh, you got to have cookies. The story you on the crackers is Jesse and I were on uh, on watch in the morning, and it was. I would say pretty foggy and pretty wet. And he's like, this is a beautiful day for a sale. <laughs> it inspired me to do, we didn't have wine, but I'm like, well, we can do cheese and crackers. So that was the inspiration for that one. Foggy and a beautiful day for a sale. Yeah, it was like 54 degrees. It was freezing out there. The conditions otherwise were beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Other than the temperature and the fog and the wind. So tell me about the watch rotation schedule. What were, how often did you switch? What were your responsibilities during your watch rotations? Yeah, so I guess there were two watch bills. One were for Ben and uh, Jess. They, I guess, did uh, more of a traditional three, four hours and, and two sixes. Uh, and that way, we those that were on the, the crew watch bill got to see both um, the captain and the mate during each watch. And then we, it was a six, five, four, four, five schedule. Six starting at zero nine hundred to fifteen hundred, and then the five, four, four, and five. Uh, I, I think that worked out pretty well. And again, we we got to see everything. Got to see uh, it, it, it get to um, transition, so we were never stuck at the same time, same day, uh, every day. And um, for the students and the crew, um, our primary responsibility was hand steering. We hand steered across the, the whole time. There was no uh, autopilot, and uh, going and doing uh, sail torium as directed or as needed. And did you have any other responsibilities like boat check? I'm, I I know you probably had that one, right? And navigation? 
certainly there was hourly boat checks. Uh, we, we plotted courses using both um, charts, different charts, as well as just, of course, taking the GPS down, boat checks to, to see the safety in the uh, of the boat. And then also we had responsibilities, depending on the timing of the watch, for um, me meals, cooking the meals, and for cleanup, both a boat and the galley. And now mm -hmm. that was, there, um, Ben was pretty flexible on meals and even some of the cleanup due to the con uh, weather conditions. So I appreciate them. It wasn't as draconian as it could be, I, I guess, if, if you want to do that. There was a lot of flexibility on that. Mm -hmm. And how did it feel standing watch in the middle of the night? I heard the Milky Way was beautiful. What did you guys see on your trip? Well, I'll jump in on that. The stars were you know i could throw words saying oh they were incredible but you know we've all seen really good stars the perspective here that was different for me was that when i've seen good stars in the past typically you're somewhere remote in a forest or whatever you know a lot of lot of, not a lot of light noise but you're looking straight up you know and there's trees or whatever around you this, there's nothing around. So the stars that you used to see, wonderful, straight up, were just as good all the way forward at the horizon in front of you, as well as behind you. So you had this full 180 degree globe of stars that were incredible. And it, you know, as if you're in a planetarium or something, they were really incredible. You know, we saw all different, you know, we were, everybody was pulling out the constellations that they knew and we were finding them and, uh, we saw plenty of shooting stars. I stopped counting after about two dozen um, and saw satellites going through the sky. And then, you know, before that moon came up and we had bioluminescence going through the wake of the boat going through the water. So it was just a, an incredible experience uh, from all angles. So that was very, uh, very special treat to have gotten offshore. And it sounds like you guys saw some wildlife, too. Correct. We saw uh whales at two different points um we saw uh pods of dolphins um you know of different sized dolphins uh, at two different points or three different points during the trip um we had also seen sunfish or i believe they're called the mola mola and uh to my surprise and, and some others seabirds the entire passage even when we were finding out that our closest point of land was nearly 380 nautical miles, we still had birds constantly out there. Oh, and the flying fish. I could have watched those guys for hours navigate, uh, you know, a little six inch fish making its leap and somehow taking the, taking its turns and, and making it about a hundred yards. It was incredible. To see I that. could tell that you would have watched those for hours because as soon as you said flying fish, your face just lit up with a big smile. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, you know, it's one of these things, right? Humbling, you know, we, we talk about, uh, you know, how and, and how Dave said, you know, didn't think about work. You live such a busy life and then you find yourself out there offshore. You, you're, you know, yes, we're keeping track of time for watches, but you said, you know, I've just been watching flying fish for three hours and the whole time you were engaged in watching it, but it's kind of this. You know, they're in tune with their environment so much. It puts things into perspective. You know, you think of yourself back at a red light and the guy in front of you won't put his blinker on. It doesn't really matter. You know, it doesn't really matter. So it really has this perspective shift of, you know, what's what matters and what doesn't. It's gorgeous. That's gorgeously said. I love it. So tell me about this mechanical bull, because no one ever has referred to Rocinante as a mechanical bull. I want to hear about this. All right, I coined it, so I'll talk about it. <laughs> I don't think it's the whole boat. We were just talking about what it's like to use the head in those conditions, you know, and I said, well, you, you know, you have your packing list and your prep, and, you know, how do you get someone acclimated? We talked about, you know, like when you travel someplace, you know, how do you get ready for it? And I said, well, one thing you could say is uh, practice using a porta potty on top of a mechanical bowl. <laughs> That'd be a good, good thing on the list. <laughs> for the pre-course briefing. All right, we'll, we'll put that on the list. <laughs> That'll be a requirement in the applications. Have you tried the mechanical bull yet? Did, so did you fall off the head? Is that what inspired this? Oh, just getting down on it was hard. <laughs> There's a lot of moving up front. I heard a lot of banging going on up in the forward head there. I was afraid someone's... I was just the hole pounding. Oh, oh, okay, okay. I was literally afraid at some point someone is going to come crashing through the head door. 
on one of those waves. I, I was expecting it. I think it's kind of a rite of passage, though, when you go offshore, everybody comes back with a head story, you know, <laughs> trying to use the bathroom. You hit a wave and get thrown this way or that way. And oh, no, now I got to readjust, maybe clean up a little bit <laughs> or, or something like that. But everybody has a story like that when they've when they've really been offshore on a real passage. Yes. Like you said, the simple things become very complicated. So what was the biggest challenge of the expedition? Besides using the head. I mean, the, a challenge could be, you know, the, the, the sleeping schedule. Some of those watches, you only got to sleep for four hours if you even fell asleep right away. If you got into your bunk right away. Mm-hmm. Or maybe just the grind of it all, like a long, steady challenge, or maybe you had to do something that was really difficult. What was the well, for biggest me, challenge? Well, for me, besides life on the lean, you know, that, that that's a big thing that we all, I guess, all offshore passages go through the rite of passage there. For me, it was getting my head out of the boat and listening to the environment, which Ben kept repeating to me every time we were on watch together. So where's the wind? Where are the waves? Don't look at the compass. Look for a spot. And and, and I got better over time. And, and in, in my defense, I'm a solo sailor, so I don't hand steer as much as I should. Um, because I'm, I put on auto and auto steers the boat and I go forward to do what I need to do with the sails and all the rest of that stuff. So that was a very humbling learning experience for me. Um, so, but it was a challenge and, uh, something I need to work on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you probably found some benefit in it, right? I would, I would hope, I would think. Oh, absolutely. Like I said, uh, cause, um, you know, I, I'm a private pilot and when you're looking at instruments, Chasing that instrument, um, when you, whether it's the altimeter, the airspeed, the compass heading, it's a challenge. But if you can bring yourself out of and that's what we were having challenge with, I was having challenges with, was, you know, staying on that compass heading. And if I had found a way to get out of the cockpit, which I was able to do many times, but not always, I, I felt I was a better helmsman. What where, where it became challenging is when I didn't have any um, out of cockpit reference points, right? When the, yeah. when the cloud cover came in and all the stars went away or, or those various things. And that's when it became a challenge for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. It is challenging for everybody. Dave, I heard that I saw that you wanted to say something you wanted to add to that. Oh yeah. Well, I was just going to make a comment about, you know, kind of, you know, coming up onto a new watch when you haven't slept on the previous watch, like on your rest period when you're supposed to be down, you know, I think just getting, you know, just overcoming the fatigue. I'd say the hardest watch was, uh, for me, was when we had to heave to for the, the night in the Gulf of Maine. You know, just, okay, how do you make a plan to manage your energy for an hour long where your job is to watch your lobster pots in the fog and it's raining and you're, you know, and so, you know, I just made a, okay, I'm going to, my little game was, I'm going to do flash this light 60 times in the next hour, once a minute, you know, just kind of rally the energy. So, I uh, just made a little game of it, but yeah, definitely, you know, managing, you know, managing yourself for um, success when you're in deep fatigue. So you flashed a light just to kind of keep the time passing for you and to stay awake. Did anybody know you were doing this? Well, I mean, my, it was my job to look for lobster pots. I mean, Jesse was up on deck oh. with me. And so, you know, that was it, you know, just to have a, a rhythm on that, you know, stay engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about the heaving too a little bit more in depth, but before that, David Rogers wanted, I want to hear about your uh, big challenge. So my big challenge would have been almost quelling some of the excitement. I think at one point, you know, you need to stay on this watch schedule. So, you know, you're going into the evenings and it's four hours. You got to go to, you know, go down and, and go to sleep so you can wake up in four hours. But I found myself I don't want to miss this sunset, you know? So, uh, you know, now it's, you're, you're carving into your time. You're supposed to go to sleep. And you know, that happens to an extent to the point where you have one of those ones where you just go down and you pass out, you know? Um, but for me, it was, is sometimes quelling the excitement, you know, at where I said, I don't want to miss this. I don't want to miss this. You know, I wanted to like sleep in the cockpit if I could have, you know, I didn't want to miss the next dolphin pod that was going to come around us or, or that was difficult. And, uh, you know, we managed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously as well, there's the ones where you maybe didn't get enough sleep. You know, you find yourself at four in the morning. I remember specifically it was Dave Keith came down. You know, he's got his red headlamp on. We're on the lean and he's looking at me and uh, he's like, hey, you know, a little bit of conversation. He's like, hey, Dave, hey, it, it's your turn. He goes, hey, it's, it's blowing, you know, 20 to 25. Seas are about six to eight, you know, and it's 
you here on the boat and he's like you know so uh wake up and uh get get dressed it's cold outside and then he walks off and you're like uh okay yeah <laughs> um but yeah no it was it, it was so exciting so to me the diff one of the difficult things was telling yourself go to sleep you're gonna need it it is hard so let's talk about that heave too uh, you guys approached maine and when you were in the coastal or nearing the coastal waters of Maine, instead of coming in, going right to Rock Rockland, which was your destination, you decided to stop and heave to for hours through the rest of the night. We can sail at night. We can come make landfall at night. But why did you guys choose to heave to this time instead of coming right into Rockland after your days and days and days at sea? I'll jump on that. I, I think that was a great uh, command decision, if you will. I'm certainly we would all have liked to come in and have docked and and you know slow the motion of the ocean if it, as it were. But um, in in our conversations and in, in in my readings, rushing the harbor or rushing to dock is is a, a recipe for disaster, right? Because I did not have the experience that um, Ben and Jesse had about. Oh my God! How many lobster pots can you fit in the ocean? <laughs> and when you said, "Oh, hey, there's lobster pots out there," I'm I'm from Chesapeake Bay. Yeah, we have crab traps and so forth. And yeah, okay, we 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 get through them or we drive through them. Not the same. So I I think it was in a, a the right decision for crew and boat safety. I'm sure it. You know, we still had day a, a day or so left on the on the expedition anyway. Um, I, I think it was just the right, right decision to make for all concerned. And then when we were able to see, even in the fog, when we were able to have some daylight. We were now able to see what was what was potentially confronting us. I think it was a great decision. Mm -hmm. We were also about, I believe that happened 12 miles off of Matinicus Island. And we still saw fishing gear that far out. 400 feet of water, I believe it was out there. So it was mm -hmm. that was surprising to me um, to you know, make the decision to do that maneuver that far offshore, but it was, it was warranted. You know, we saw the, I guess, how much gear there was as we continued to move closer in daylight. Right. The density, the density of lobster traps here in Maine is pretty intense. Did you guys sleep at all while you were hove to? Well, Dave Rogers and I were talking about what a miserable watch this was going to be. And then, um, uh, mother nature decided to throw a lightning and thunderstorm in, in our, in our, path and while jesse and i were below taking care of something dave got to witness a lightning strike not too far off the off uh, the boat so yeah got to be careful what you wish for i definitely slept pretty hard after my um i think i had the uh, zero to 0400 watch and i was i was ready immediately for the bed <laughs> immediately the lightning went off and i didn't know it <laughs> mm. well if i could just add to that you know Again, right, the professionalism of, of the, the crew. When that happened, it was a bit unnerving. Uh, I was under the bimini in the back. It was raining, and it was uh, under the Dodger, and it was about a 1,000 feet off the uh, the, the port uh, <clears throat> side, quarter. and I, uh, yeah, off the port quarter, and, you know, I kind of remained calm, and I looked down, and I said to Jesse, uh, hey, you see that? What do we do? You know, and immediately you know turned on the radar we saw the outline of the squall and gave the radar a minute to circle a few times and give us a direction of which way it was moving and we turned on the engine we point the opposite way and we got out of it the situation was um you know handled very well so what was the most important thing you all learned on this expedition yeah, I just want to go back real quick. I just say that, you know, it's a great move by Jesse, and I was able to sleep really well, which is, which is you know, very important to have a mate you can trust or a crew you can trust so you can sleep when you're, when you're off watch. Very grateful for that. You know, that's something we, we always ask people who go offshore with us. Are you comfortable waking up me or waking up Ben on this expedition? Not even when there's a doubt, but when there's just something. It doesn't even need to be go as far as being a doubt. And Jesse was like, yeah, no problem. Everybody says that to me. Yeah, no problem. But people usually don't do it. And so when you guys made landfall, I asked Ben, did Jesse wake you up? And Ben was like, oh, yeah, he woke me up for everything. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's the way we want that's, it. That's why I woke you up, because I knew that uh, maybe it didn't require your attention, but it would help you sleep better 
the next off watch or later during that off watch. Exactly. That was great. So let's go to big learning moments. Benji, sure. I want to hear from you. What? We haven't heard from you much. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a big learning moment on this expedition? There's, you know, it's sailing. There's like never ending learning. There is. Sailing. There is. I know I had something that was, was on the forefront of my mind at one point, but I, I, it's not coming back right now. Oh, it sounds like you really learned it. Oh, good God. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll come back to you. Spinnaker? Oh, yeah, tell us about that. It was a learning experience for me as well because I've only flown a spinnaker a handful of times and mostly on small boats. And then I have an asymmetrical spinnaker on my boat, so it doesn't require using the pole. And so I don't know if it was the greatest learning or the most significant learning experience for me, but it was definitely neat to get to try it out and kind of re-familiarize myself with the whole process how everything's rigged and of course beautiful to see that thing flying that was uh, i think i mentioned the the second time i'd flown the spinnaker on this boat so it was definitely a learning experience and uh, dave keith has flown the spinnaker a lot and was super helpful in getting that thing going for us and uh schooling us on a few finer details of racing and spinnakers so that was it was great to have you aboard dave for that and i think one of the other things that i learned that i'll come back to it was uh coffee water temperature Another Dave Keefe educational moment on uh, how to not burn the coffee. So, uh, Dave, thank you. Yeah, it's important. Not too hot, you know. Not too hot, not, not too long. Too that's right. Not too hot, not too long. Take it easy with the water temperature. That's right. That's right. What, what's, your, what's the temperature exactly? Depends on the roast, but, you know, 195 is pretty good. Did you it. guys pull out the thermometer? No, we didn't. You, you know, water's going to cool at a pretty specific rate. And so if you boil it, you know, you can know how many minutes it'll take for it to cool. So about two minutes after a boil is pretty good. You know, minute and a half to two minutes, depending on how cold it is. Yeah, we had some pretty raunchy coffee in the, in the first day or two. And then, and then we, you know, Dave, Dave schooled us and the coffee was phenomenal. From the, for the rest of the trip. And that kind of stuff is important when you're out there Absolutely. battling the weather like you guys were. What other, what other significant learning moments for you guys? I'll just jump in here um, about helming. You know, I, I'm on boats a lot. And in fact, when I, I got back from our trip, less than 16 hours later, I was in a race. So, <laughs> and we were flying the, you know, um, flying, you know, run the shoot and stuff. And I actually got to helm a little bit, but I don't, I don't helm that much. And so... Like getting so many hours of helming and then just feeling the subtleties of your course with, you know, just even the sun, you know, where's the sun hitting you on your, on your leg or the shadows of the gear. And then, you know, the the subtleties of the breeze when you're helming. And that was really amazing in terms of just to have so many hours on the helm in different conditions in terms of like heightening awareness around, um, around the boat. And then, you know, as that increases, then you're able to pay attention to the swell and well, maybe you have a primary and a secondary and you know how the boat's moving through it. And then you start thinking about how your crew, your, your crew is, you know, like, am I being too hard on them down below with this course and do we need to deal with that? And so having that whole experience was really amazing. I helmed so much, I have blisters on my hands from helming, which I can't even believe, it. like, but that's true. I mean, I actually had blisters from helming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I just want to point out something or say something about when I came up for watch and I think it was uh, Dave Rogers was at the wheel. Or was it Greg? I can't remember now. But you were looking backwards. You were looking off the port quarter and steering. But like literally looking off the port quarter and steering the boat, not looking forward at all. I was like, what are these guys doing? Are they like playing a game back here? And I just thought that was the coolest thing I, I, to, to come up on watch and see that. And, and I re- you know, you explained to me, of course, you were watching the waves and steering off the waves. The waves were huge at that point. We had following seas on the port quarter. What, we, what are we going to say? They were at least 12 feet, uh, 12 foot seas. So you guys were just steering down the waves and you didn't need to look at the compass. You didn't need to look ahead. You could just tell as long as the waves kept hitting me on this particular angle on the port quarter, I was on course. And I thought that was one of the coolest things I've seen. Yeah, it was um, right. Every boat has its own shape under the water. So there's nuanced ways that certain swells are going to turn and twist the boat. So to, to add to Dave's point, you know, there was a bit of pre-steering that was involved before these waves came so that after they hit you they put you back onto your course and it was way better to pre-steer and maybe let them get you on the stern a little bit more um, rather than 
going up and over and having them twist you. And as Dave said, everybody down below getting tossed. It was very interesting to um, see how just these minor adjustments in advance of uh, this force that's going to come onto the boat really made drastic uh, difference in maintaining your course and maintaining uh, comfort level. So you guys were in, did you know that your expedition was a part of a race? It was actually a race from Bermuda back to the U.S. Uh, ben has gotten the results of that race. Would you like to know how well you fared or take a guess? Because <laughs> I feel like this crew, I know you, Ben, are not super competitive, but I feel like in general, the expedition was not meant to be competitive for mm-hmm. you all. Well, we did, we came in second on this leg. It was a percentage. They did, they escorted us a very interesting race, by the way. Um, percentage of how well, if you had sailed to your maximum abilities, given the weather conditions that you had on your particular boat. So we sailed within two percent of the of the winning boat. I think they were sailed at seventy six percent of their potential, and we sailed at seventy four percent of our potential. So pretty neat, pretty neat race where um, you can leave whenever you want, and you can sail to wherever you want, but you're all racing together in the same race. It's a a new concept in racing, which I think is pretty neat. But um, yeah, we did pretty well. We did pretty well. We sailed like seventy four percent of our potential, which I thought was great. And most of that is because we motored. So you lose percentage points because we motored when we were becalmed. Or what would we say? I think it was around 14 hours. Congratulations. Yeah, I was surprised and happy. That's why that spinnaker helped as well, right? Um, we deployed that and I think ran that for about seven or eight hours. That was right when we cut the motor, I feel like, as well. Were you guys thinking about the race at all during the expedition or just keeping the boat moving? I think we were just aware of it. And, you know, it really didn't have a factor so much, maybe maybe for Ben and Jesse. Um, because you know we we had it we did what we needed to do and that this is the more important thing. So I I don't know if he lost points for heaving two either. Oh right, you know he did. Uh, he called our finish when we started heaving two. He he saw that on the tracker and he said that that would be our finish point when where we got to when we heave two. I think that's smart because you guys were heaving two for safety reasons. Yeah. If you were still focused on the race or super competitive. And willing to push the boundaries a little more, like a lot of racers are, you might have tried to make landfall in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. And it was certainly, well, you know, you fared without hitting any lobster pots. So we know that that was a good move. Mm -hmm. One thing I'll jump in on the the race results stuff. I did have a a quick look at the results. And, you know, we sailed the longest course of anybody and we had half the engine hours of anybody. Like the next closest Mm -hmm. boat had twice the engine hours. So we really sailed. I mean, you know, we did the, the whole thing with like half the hours on the clock. Uh, as compared to the nearest competitor, which was great. Kept the boat moving under wind. We sure did. Yeah, we did a lot of sail changes, didn't we? You got it when you're out there. We had, you know, there was a couple of, uh, what do we call Jesse? We'd come up and Jesse, Jesse would just have the boat flying along, pounding along. (laughs) Right, Jesse? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, uh, I think after we went around George's bank, that's when maybe I was pointing a little bit higher because, you know, trying not to get set to the southwest too much with the northeasterly breeze we had but uh it's fun to sail and it's fun to sail fast it, you're absolutely right so uh now that you've done this passage for some of you it was your first offshore passage what is one thing you wish you had known before you did the passage so the people that are listening to this podcast who are getting ready to go on their passage or thinking about going trying to decide if it's right for them what is one thing you wish you had known I'll go. It's not so much what I wish I had known. The the whole reason for going open ocean was to learn the things or to be exposed to the things that uh, indeed um, I was exposed to. There was very few moments when I wasn't learning something new. I mean, usually to do with techniques and how Ben would do it or how Jesse would do it or even how, how my crewmates would do it. All that stuff is, is, is important. I guess the biggest thing for me as a boat owner, uh, especially a blue water boat owner, I wish I had done this before I had bought my boat. Nothing's going to change, but for those who are, are looking at, gee, do I really want to do, do I want to go long passages? Do I want to cruise? I would take this course sooner rather than later. I mean, it, as I said, one of the three words is illuminating. I've kind of reevaluated what I want to do with my boat. I still want to do passages. I still want to do blue water cruising, maybe not to the extent that I had been putting in the back of my head that I was wanting to do. So I think that's an important thing. Uh, and I know we've, I've had the discussion about, well, okay, the price of the, of the expedition versus a part I need for my boat. This is money well worth spent. 
this is unedited and we did not pay him to say that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's such a great endorsement. I'm glad you had the experience you had. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing that I wish I would have known. There's, you know, you learn what you need to learn on the boat. You know, a friend of mine has the saying, you know, you don't you don't get wet by reading a book about swimming. You know, you, you got to get out there and do it. And so, you know, from this thing, it's just do it, you know, get out there and, and uh, make the time. You know, the, the whole idea of, oh, there's, I can't make time. There's never enough. You know, I can't squeeze it in. Just just pull the plug <laughs> uh, and get out, get out there and check it out. It's a pretty epic experience. You know, something that, you know, so much learning, but also just as an experience itself, you know, it, it's one for the books. David, how about you? Well, I don't want to, you know, take away what Dave Keefe just said, but I, I agree with that and that, you know, life is busy and there's not, uh, you know, there's really not time to unplug like this for, you know, a week at a time. But I guess getting back, you know, looking back at it, what I would have done differently is maybe do something like this sooner. You know, there you, you, you life gets complicated and you put all these things that why you can't do this, can't do this. And at the end of the day, um, you know, this was crucial to unplug like this, get humbled like this. I think it's important for people to feel small uh, because not only is it, you know, right, the seamanship aspect of it coming and, and being a better sailor. I feel like trips like this, you know, they, they make you a better uh, a leader, a better, you know, co-worker, better father, better um, husband. So a lot of these things, you know, put things into perspective. But to answer your question, what maybe I, I would have done, uh, maybe uh, changed my um, being in the warmer temperature. I, I had a couple of these long sleeve, um, really light long sleeves, like almost sunscreen shirts that I had that were hooded because we're not showering for five days. So when you put sunscreen on a couple of times a day, <laughs> by day three, you know, uh, is it going on? Is it not going on? I mean, you know, so uh, more a couple more shirts to protect you from the sun, especially on those windowless days. No, I, I didn't want to do too much research into this. I really wanted to just be present and, and enjoy it as it came, you know, as it presented itself to me, you know, and, and find uh, the good things, even in the crummy things, right? There's, there's lessons to be learned when you're on lean and you have a, a sink full of dishes, you know? Uh, yeah, you could look at it from the perspective saying, oh, this is going to be terrible. But I was laughing half the time throughout this whole trip because I just was saying, this is ridiculous, you know? Um, but I had a, I had a good time with even this, the little things. Um, uh, it's such a good attitude, Dave. I got that great photograph of you doing dishes. You're all hunched over and it looks like you're climbing up a wall trying to do dishes. Yeah, there's a bit of, uh, I would say, galley and or head yoga that was involved in this trip, you know? Some planking while standing. I don't know what you would call it, but got to find your tripod stance and, and push out. <laughs> That's awesome. So I guess my my final question is, what do you guys think about a reunion expedition? <laughs> yeah, we're going to the Azores next. I like that. What'd you say, Jesse? Azores. Azores. <laughs> no, it sounds awesome. I, you know, I was talking to some friends and, you know, what, you know, the question was, you know, would you do it again? And, I, and basically what I said was I'd go anywhere with these guys. I feel totally comfortable, you know, like anywhere, any destination, any, any weather, totally do it. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I'd go anywhere with you guys, too. It's, good. it's a really good crew. Absolutely. Uh, reunion. Sure. If it's available. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I've already talked to Ben as I'm looking forward to your uh, your Nova Scotia uh, expedition, perhaps, you know, mm -hmm. again. Uh, we ha we had to talk about you know people who sail they are mostly trade wind sailors and then you know long passage and maybe never see 30, 30 knots well we saw that and and then some I think it's a, a testimony to the crew that uh, that we in, endured and persevered and maybe would want to do it together again together. And you all came back laughing and not there was not a moment where you're just all getting off the boat and leaving right away. <laughs> well, sometimes it's type two fun, right? Type two fun. Yes. <laughs> well, I remember at one point I asked right when the when the winds were growing and, you know, I side note too. one of the things I was surprised about is how accurate the forecasts were. Right. When with the Iridium go and pull an updated forecasting down, it was pretty much right on when it was going to be and what it was going to be. Um, but. You know, as it was growing and, and there's that little bit of unnerving where you're saying, oh, is how big is this going to keep getting? I remember Ben popped up. I said, hey, hey Ben, 
how much wind ca can the boat really take? And I think your answer was, the boat's fine. It's the humans that are the problem. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's really what it comes down to about us going anywhere is that we had a great crew that just the synergy of everybody and everybody's, um, you know, at its positive attitudes. And, and uh, I don't know, it's kind of just like a home run the way things worked out. That's why I think our faces hurt and our bellies hurt from laughing the day we were back because I mean, I, I have it here over the side of me, this, the, the log and all of our little quotes, you know, from when we came back, they're hysterical. Can you read us? Can you read us one or two of those quotes? I'll pick out a couple choice ones, if I will. You will. So this is the this is the ship's logbook, which is used to document sail changes and weather and position, but also anything else that you want to remember. So the the title the title track, right? The the single that so to speak that came out. Do not jive this vessel. Like that was just at one point where. Again, as Greg was talking about and not looking at the compass and trying to just be in tune with the wind on your face and the way the waves were coming, we had a, a, a point where even though we did have a preventer set, it was just it, it could it could have happened and and, and uh, lack of sleep or whatever. Just the way that the message was delivered by Ben was it was stoic and, and hysterical. Um, stoic and hysterical. Okay. <laughs> So, so you, when he when he delivered the message, the command "Do not jive," you were like, "Oh, I'm taking this serious," or you cracked up laughing. Oh, it was <laughs> like, oh, it was serious. Oh. Um, also, uh, cumulus conflictus. That one, <laughs> you know, in the ship's log, there's the chart with all the pictures of the different clouds. And I mean, Greg, you could elaborate on this one if you want to. But I remember you came up with all seriousness. And it was maybe one of the days we had our shorts on backwards. I don't know. <laughs> and you pointed up and you're like, I think this is the cumulus conflictus. <laughs> and I remember Ben and I, I think like we looked up and we're like, yeah, this this is cumulus. Wait, what the heck? What is that? What? <laughs> you had us convinced for a second. Um, hey, that's, that was based on that downeaster cloud chart, and, and I got it wrong, but I like my version better. I do, too. I, I love it. Rogers still had the winning lines all the way through, even after the boat. We, you know, he pointed out that at one time I had shorts on, you know, ocean boots, and a jacket. He goes, that was a tire conflictus. That it, that's that's main, though, for you. It's, it's hot, it's cold, it's breezy, it's... You're wearing boots, you know, you're wearing a hooded sweatshirt, shorts. Sunny and foggy all at the same time. And when Teresa says bring warm weather or cold weather gear, don't go, well, it's June. I'll just, I don't have to. I, I did finally break out the sleeping bag because it did get cold and it did get wet. And I'm thinking, my gosh, I wish I had a little bit more. So mm. that was on me. But yeah, so listen to, to listen to the experts there. Greg, did you follow the packing list or did you go off book? No, no, I followed the packing list. The only thing I didn't add were um, like um, uh, long underwear type things, woolies. Now, I, I, even if I had put them on, because, you know, there's that transition point when you're down below getting ready and you're putting all your gear on, your fowlies, and it's and then it gets hot before you have that time to get up. And, you know, I had some general miasma during the first part of the of the, of the voyage that, that eventually went away. But, yeah, I, I can't imagine putting more gear on and then do it. But yeah, it would have made my life above a, a little bit more comfortable. Uh, I think if I had uh, better follow the packing list, I, I didn't go off track. I just didn't add everything you had, had suggested. I, I want to mention one of the other highlights. And, you know, this is one of the things seriously, safety wise, that I think was wonderful that we did even prior to um, leaving St. George's was the procedure with the life sling. I think that was kind of educational for all of us, right? We all have one, but rarely any of us have ever used one. And to kind of just troubleshoot some of the difficulties with that and see what worked and didn't work, I think was uh, educational for all of us there um, for a life-saving tool that's needed when needed. But um, you don't often practice lifting a, you know, the average sized uh, passenger with that. So. so I think it's almost time to wrap up. But before we do, I just wanted to... Give up, take a moment here to give you guys the opportunity. Maybe we didn't touch on something that was a really funny or exciting or important moment for you. Maybe it was the first thing you told your family when you got home. Is there anything else that we should we should recap? You got nothing here. It's just that uh, we nailed it. I mean, there's a lot you could talk about endlessly, but just a, a good adventure for sure. Uh, and um, you know, you guys were great to, to 
to, you know, first of all, just acknowledge you guys for putting it on, you know, having the boat ready to go and just all logistics and, you know, the crew for showing up because it's, you know, it's not easy for anyone to, to pull the plug on their day to day and get down there. And, you know, Jesse on short notice, getting down there to join us. I mean, just everyone, everyone did what they needed to do. And that was, that was super. Just thank you for, for doing it. And, uh, that was great. And you make good pasta too, by the way. Who makes good pasta? Oh, you do. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. All right. I'll, I'll, what I'll say on that is just, uh, right. We, we never stop learning and to go with an open mind and an open, you know, open eyes and, and be observant. And I mean, heck even Jesse and, and Ben even acknowledged on this chat here that they both learned things on this trip, you know, so just to, you know, carry that with you through whatever it is that you do, uh, even things that you're an expert in anywhere you go is just be open-minded to, you know, use your eyes and your ears, you know, more than your mouth sometimes and, and just watch and take things in and learn and, and uh, calibrate the way things are, uh, can be done. Uh, I understand why a lot of sailors are nerds about knots because I learned on this, all the different knots and their functions and their uses and when and where and um, the importance of them. So that to me was kind of a, I think I ordered that book on Amazon as soon as you pulled out that knot book there mm-hmm. and the cover is kind of half fallen off. Yeah. Uh, Hervey Garrett Smith. Yes. I, I, it's the author. It, it was in my mailbox by the time I got back from the airport. Good. Classic. One of my favorites. And, and my thanks again to Ben and Jesse. Um, you, you got, you've got a great touch, a very great style. Here we are a bunch of, you know, middle-aged guys trying to learn something new. And, and it's real easy at times to be, over overbearing um you know i think you had that right touch to allow us to learn without putting anybody in, on making anybody unsafe um you know one of their questions is did you were you ever overwhelmed by it no because i was on a safe boat with a safe crew good good glad you felt that way always goal number one safety well um thank you all for for doing the expedition for keeping good humor about it and for doing the podcast i appreciate it Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to The Morning Muster wherever you get your podcasts or visit morsealpha.com. You can also find us on Instagram at Expeditions. The music is by Tim Erickson, my brother, and you can find him at timericksonmusic.com. Until next time, stay found. <laughs>